0: Welcome to the Opioid Voices Podcast. I'm Amanda Hiraishi, the Executive Producer. Opioid Voices is part of the American Opioid Project, a crowdsourced encyclopedia of the opioid crisis that will help the public understand how the crisis was experienced in all 50 states from a variety of perspectives. Share your story today by visiting www.americanopioid.org. The following interview is with Myra Parwiz, the program manager at Santa Clara Valley Medical Center. This interview was conducted by Jamal Khan and took place on November 14, 2018.
1: So I guess in, to start off, it would be helpful if you uh, basically just introduce yourself and your mm-hmm. role and the work that you do. Okay.
2: So um, my name is Myra Perez-Shamel uh, and I'm a, a division director for Bureau Health Department, Santa Clara County. Mm-hmm. I oversee the uh, medication assistant uh, clinics in the county. And also, I'm leading the Santa Clara County um, Opioid Coalition um, um, that currently that we have in the county, you know, it's representative of other entities with us as well, such as public health department, um, community partnerships, um, um, hospital and um, health plans in Santa Clara County. Okay.
1: And uh, how long have you been uh, serving in this role?
2: Um, let's see. 13 years. Oh,
1: okay. I guess uh, over the course of those 13 years, what was the most uh, memorable experience that you had, whether it was something that you observed or something that you heard someone say that just stuck with you?
2: about uh, what
1: Uh, I guess about uh, anything involving uh, opioids or just like substance abuse in general
2: Um, I think every day some one of a memorable day for our work because I truly believe that every day that we're here we make change in someone's life and I have to say, you know, substance abuse is a chronic disease, and our patients have come through the door, you know, they're struggling with a chronic condition, Mm -hmm. and um, what makes it memorable is that it's great to see them, the progress they make, the ones who are really committed to their, um, taking their um, substance use uh, seriously and trying to help themselves. So if if they have taken the step and they're willing to go to the road of recovery, then we have all the tools. And now our physicians are incredibly supportive as long as uh, also as our counseling staff. Mm-hmm. So we really hold their hand throughout the journey. And um, as a result, you know, over uh, 50% of our patients um, do uh, lead better life than they than the they started to come to the clinic prior to um, getting any help. So um, So that's for me, it makes a difference every day. and that's why I show up every day to say that you know, I'm doing a, something good that contributes to the good of others in the community. In terms of the opiate coalition, so the Opiate coalition have come along um, into, into existence since 2015 in Santa Clara County. And um, since so they have been been new, so we've been here in the last two years, and that's because actually most of the county coalitions kind of got started around the same time or later uh, because um, California Health Foundation was um, really pushing counties to form a coalition and look at the opioid epidemic. So So with the help of them and you know, um, asking us to put something together, I mean we put the coalition together and I guess the memorable thing about that is that we started to uh, provide prevention education and, and we provide uh, as one big tool for that, that we have provided as Narcan to um, for anybody in our community to have access to it and um, we worked very closely of with all our first responders in the county. Um, so our a already have this, but our law enforcement, who's also one of the first responders in any scene of emergency, they didn't have Narcan. So we have worked very hard in the last two years to bring most of our law enforcement agencies together and provide them with a Narcan education and provide them with actual Narcan when if they are need to use it, use it. Mm-hmm. So um, we had... Um, actually, one of our um, uh, law enforcement agencies, um, Campbell, city of Campbell, actually used one of that NARCAN that we gave in and was able to save a life. Okay. So, to me, that's, um, um, that's worth everything we're doing because, you know, every life has a value. When it's lost, it's lost. So, if we can provide the, our community to be better equipped, and we, this is something that can, it does save lives, and it was used in the right place, right time, we saved a life. So that's kind of stuck in my memory right now as a, something for the coalition that we actually did that, and it was we saw some good result out of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that some regions of the country have uh, experimented with uh, other harm reduction approaches such as needle exchanges or supervised injection sites. Uh, What are your thoughts about those approaches?
0: Yeah,
2: I think needle exchanges are great. Um, We're lucky to have one also in Santa Clara County and our needle exchange program is very uh, proactive and they're out in the community serving every day in different capacities. and they also provide now Narcan. They go out, they provide training, and provide the patients um, with Narcan. Um, so that's one of our sites that we refer patients to for um, um, the needle exchange program. They also send patients to these clinics that they can access care. Um, the um, safe side injections, that's a very upcoming concepts, uh, at least to U.S. I know Canada has had it for a while, um, and they had some good results. But um, we're not there yet in Santa Clara County as of yet. Um, But perhaps uh, in the next few years, if we um, do push more towards harm reduction, that might be a possibility.
1: What do you see as... uh you know, your coalition has uh, you know, uh, had a great accomplishment of making it so that first responders have Narcan uh, to save lives. Uh, I guess, what other sort of goals does your coalition have now moving forward?
2: So our coalition has been, um, been um, kind of um, has like four goals up front for them always. One is, as we talked about, prevention. So being out in the community... Um, providing prevention. So as a Narcan tool. Second, kind it's of been outreach, just plain education about opiates and what's happening um, and, um, and how to prevent a misuse of medication and overdosing and all of that. So we've been very active in all um, high schools, um, even some even younger than that we've gone to some middle, middle schools. Um, we have been working very closely with universities and colleges. To provide education to our um, uh, community members and that are in Santa Clara County and all the schools, I uh, mean um, universities and high schools, um, that we want them to be aware of what's happening, what's happening in opiates and opiate epidemic, and how's it's affected affect their body and what they do, and um, and aside from that, we. It's so fast education for that community. And then we also have gone, our third goal has been to provide education to physicians in the community on how to do safe prescribing, um, that, you know, opiates are not the only answer. Look at other alternatives. You know, even if you have already started people in opiates in a very high doses, how do you work with them to bring them down in lower, safer doses? How to educate them? How to bring them into other alternatives? So we've been offering a number of um, education series to physicians in the community um, to look at these um, different ways of doing prescribing, safe prescribing. And then our fourth goal has been to... um, uh, expand treatment access in Santa Clara County um, by um, making um, opiate treatment available everywhere that patients can access to, such as at the primary care site, at these clinics, at specialty clinics, and even at emergency rooms and express care and urgent care. So um, um, as you may already know, the FDA only have um, three drugs that are currently available for treatment of opiates, which is methadone, suboxone, and uh, Vivitrol. And uh, we really have have tried to make that available wherever it's possible. So, uh, for example, um, as of July of this year, we brought uh, suboxone to the emergency room in Santa Clara County, um, and also to the express cares and urgent cares of patients who do have um, this uh, suffering from opiate uh, addiction, they can walk into these places and get the care they need uh, because before then, they they used to get some relief medication and walk away and then be back on the streets using. So if they want the help, it's there, but they get it in Suboxone treatment at the emergency room. Same thing at our um, inpatient hospital. You know, if we have patients that are in opiate addiction, they come through emergency room um, and they get in the inpatient. We work with our inpatient team to provide the same medication treatment in there, and then transition them after they discharge to our outpatient clinics. We're also doing the same thing in our primary care clinics. We have been educating our physicians to about suboxone and the fact that they can provide suboxone to their patients if they. They're seeing that same as Vivitrop. So both of those are available. Methadone is only available right now in the specialty setting, as such as this clinic, uh, medication-assisted treatment, um, narcotic treatment programs. It, that's because how the state has um, designated methadone to be only available through narcotic treatment programs and strict guidelines on it through Title IX. So methadone treatments... Currently for addictions are only available at the narcotic treatment program, such as this clinic. We do have two other clinics in the county. So the treatment access has been a big uh, for us to provide um, access to treatment um, at any level we can uh, for the patients.
1: Hmm. I know that uh, in some areas uh, there's a policy where if the patient has been taking, you know, methadone for a certain period of time, maybe a year or, or more, then they may allow them to start having, I guess, take home amounts, uh, where they they can like take mm-hmm. home enough that will last for like a week or so. Uh, is there right. any similar kind of thing here?
2: Yes. So as a um, this is a licensed narcotic treatment program, so. Based on the state, because uh, f- okay, so we have to obey by the federal guidelines for this and also state. So the state timeline requires that, you know, if a patient is um, uh, meeting the what, what's, uh, what's called as a take-out yeah. medication um, guidelines, then those patients will be um, offered that. Um, so they have different criteria. For example, they have to provide... Um, um, clean urinalysis which means that they don't have any any substance in their body and that is um, illegal um, except you know there might be prescription drugs um, and then they have to be a protective member of society whether it's working or volunteering or going to school um, and um, they have to be compliance with uh, um, the treatment protocol which would just to um um meet their treatment goals and uh everybody has a treatment plan every 90 days and there's certain goals that are certain that they have to meet the goals whatever it is for, every, for everybody is kind of different mm-hmm. for example if somebody has cardiac problems so they need to go see their cardiologist So that's a goal in their treatment so they you know they're treating, providing Evidence they have gone. they've gone, they followed up on a condition that's harming uh, for, to them. So so they're compliance with their treatment plans. They're meeting with their counselors. The state requires them that they have at least 50 minutes of counseling sessions every month. So, um, so they're meeting that goal. They're being productive, and they're providing um, clean urinalysis. Then um, they'll take um, what's called medication takeout. Uh, one day, for example, for the number of, for every um, uh, 90 days that they have cleaned, they get one, this is called the steps, so they call it a one takeout. Hmm. And then, so then throughout the year, you get like six um, steps. And then, if you're in compliance, you know, in your second year and third year, you can get more, like you can get up to, you can jump into 13 steps and you can go to um, 27. It's called Step Twenty Seven, which is a basically a month supply. Hmm. So then you can you only come to the clinic one day, um, and that's um, really huge. It's a and it's a huge incentive for people who are really serious about their treatment. They're in compliance, and so they only come see a doctor once a month, and they get their medication. They go. Otherwise, you know methadone is a daily treatment, so do you have to come and take the medication daily? So it works to advantage if you're in compliance because you, can, you don't have to come and visit us every day. You only have to come so often.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what, what would you say is the biggest uh, challenge your coalition has faced in carrying out its mission, whether it's you know, organizational or financial or
2: political? Say that we're lucky they're in Santa Clara County because our um, Board of Supervisors and our executive, they all have been very supportive of the coalition and trying to provide the help um, that's needed in society for um, treating this uh, disease. Um, so we have not faced any challenges from that perspective. The challenge that we have faced um, is somewhat of a financial burden. Because we don't have um, ongoing funding to have a, a like a dedicated number of staff to be working on the different projects that the coalition is pushing, so all of us who are working as a coalition members, we're all volunteers and doing our job, and then on top of it, that job, so. Um, for example, um, as I mentioned to you, I'm the lead, but I have a full-time job, um, you know, running my medic- medication-assisted clinics. And then my clinical lead is uh, Dr. Um, DeBrun. She is a full-time physician at Stanford Hospital, you know, but, you know, she works on the other side of it, too, for example, doing all education for the physicians. So. Um, It'd be nice to have, you know, a good amount of funding where I could hire a full-time physician to be dedicated towards this. Uh, it could be other staff who could be leading different projects. So I would say financial is a, it's an issue. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably the our biggest challenge. Uh,
1: what do you think makes the opioid crisis different from previous drug drug epidemics uh, that have happened uh, like what makes this particular uh, issue with opioids uh, unique?
2: I think is the availability of it it's so I, every. I, as you know, I think this we are facing this because of the prescription misuse and how the pharmaceutical companies pushed certain narcotic products, and then the physicians just bought it until it and stop, started prescribing it, mm-hmm. and um, that led to addiction of a large number of people. Who, um, you know, they for example, you went to a dentist and you had a tooth. Egg and they just give you Vicodin and an unlimited vicodin so there's nobody to say well you really don't need that Vicodin money Vicodin. so then you start using them and using them finally you get addicted and then and then at some point if you get cut off then your next route is you know do doing doctor shopping and if finally if you don't get that then you end up in the streets and you get into heroin and others and um, so a lot of this happened throughout the U.S. because of this issue. Before, it was like, you know, it was the smugglers who were bringing heroin or something and who, you know, there's certain people got into it, but not this mass population that went in to get treatment and then ended up addicted. So that's the biggest shift in difference between what we were facing in, you know, in the 60s or 70s versus what we're facing today.
1: Uh, when it comes to medication assisted treatment, such as uh, receiving methadone or buprenorphine, uh, how is the uh, insurance coverage? Uh, is it generally covered by private insurance or MediCal, Cal, uh, or are there any
0: uh, yeah. sort of challenges
1: or co payments that? patients have to think about
2: so methadone and suboxone is primarily now covered by uh, most insurance companies and most uh, and also Medi-Cal. Vivitrol it's um, an injection and it's right now That's that's been in the market the last five years, six years, something. And um, that's still somewhat of a brand new product and not everybody has it and it's not everybody's formulary. Um, and um, like for example, drug medical does not cover that cost of the uh, medication itself. Hmm. And, and one injection is $1,000, so it's quite expensive. And, um, but that being said, there are, um, there are insurances that do provide Vivitrol, but, you know, of course, like any other medication, you have to ask for authorization. And then it varies depending what insurance company have and what's your copay for it and all of that. But in general, right now, if you don't have it, it's a $1,000 shot. And that's a barrier for Quite a few people.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I know that uh, you know, There's been some commentary about how you know the irony, where uh, a patient who wants to be uh, prescribed uh, opioid-based uh, painkillers can get them pretty easily. Insurance generally covers them in a pretty robust way. Uh, but when it comes to medication-assisted treatment, sometimes there are barriers, and they do have to make uh, you know higher copayments with with MAT much higher than what they had to do for the uh, prescription drugs that got them addicted in the first place.
2: Yeah, you really bring a good point. I mean, that's very... A lot of insurance companies, for example, covers oxycodone, and oxycodone, you know, is something people get addicted to. And so that's often really not much asked for, and if you have it in COPE, it's not that expensive. But here it is Vivitrol. Not everybody wants to provide that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a battle.
1: I know that with uh, Suboxone or Buprenorphine, uh, you know, the, the prescriber has to have an X waiver to be able to
2: prescribe it. That's another issue in terms of uh, treatment acts that could be seen as a barrier because uh, for Suboxone you do need to have that uh, um, be waivered and any doctor for all other medications the doctors can write a prescription but for this one they cannot write a prescription unless they have gone and completed the 8 hour course and they got their certificate that they know what this drug is and then, and then they have a limit they can only prescribe up to 120 uh, to 120 up to 120 patients a year, and then if you want to more than that, then you have to apply again for an exception to get more than uh, what's allowed. So it's, yeah, so there's a lot of restriction on what you can and what you cannot do.
1: Hmm. I guess, uh, how do you feel, like, when it comes to the trajectory of the opioid crisis here in Santa Clara County, uh, does it look like things are starting to slowly turn around or does it look like things will, there will still be some significant challenges before things get better?
2: Compared to other counties, Santa Clara County has uh, been relatively stable county in their opiate epidemic. We have not seen a surge of opiates uh, in this county. Um, for example, Santa Cruz um, has um, have a lot more serious issues than we do in this area. Um, our, for example, overdose rate was about seventy seven patient who passed uh, away from this um, last year, but Santa Cruz is doubled in that. So in neighboring counties as well, other counties, and especially in the north counties, we're seeing a lot of um, problems with opiates. Um, I'm talking about councils, Shasta, Butte County, all of that. That's, a little bit rural counties. Yeah. Um, but in Santa Clara County, we have not seen that many. Uh, as I said, like 77 in a year versus 200, 300, 500 patients. Uh, everywhere else, you know, we're relatively on the lower end of things. And, um, and then the same like fentanyl is a big issue in other counties. But in here, we had 11, I believe 11 last year. Overdoses of subs related to fentanyl. Um, so I think um, we are making headways in Santa Clara County in terms of. That's uh, results of all our efforts. You know, we're providing access to treatment. We're doing a lot of outreach. We're educating the community. Uh, we're educating our physicians on how to do safe prescribing. Um, I think they all have played a role too. Keep it relatively on the lower end.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, you mentioned uh, fentanyl. Uh, I know that in parts of the country, that's increasingly be- become a concern, uh, especially uh, now that it looks like some dealers are mixing fentanyl with other drugs, such as uh, you know what would you know just conventional heroin or even. Cocaine, and sometimes the purchasers don't even realize that fentanyl is in there and they they take it in the Mm. overdose. Uh, I guess, uh, what can we do to combat this latest uh, threat to public health?
2: You know, um, our public health department is doing actually um, quite a bit of outreach on usually in the areas that they have, they know that people go and buy, for example, heroin, or there's people gathering for this, you know. So we're doing a lot of just going kind of in those areas, talking to people about this, being aware of what you're buying, what's there, and be aware of the fentanyl issue. And um, also they have... um, um, uh, hotlines to call for, you know, if you are doubting what's happening. So, um, really, aside from um, public education um, and make, make them aware of what's happening, because, yeah, as you said, they thinking they're buying heroin, but that's not be really pure heroin. There'll be other things mixed into it. So, um, we're just doing a really public campaign about be aware of this if you're into this.
1: What do you think is the single biggest barrier or bottleneck that prevents individuals with opioid use disorder uh, from uh, receiving professional help, including medication-assisted treatment?
2: I think different has to do a lot with, um, the environment you are in and how, um, who are you surrounded with? Are you aware of the environment? Like, are there treatment places for you where to go, even if you wanted to go? And then On top of that, there's a lot of still stigma in the community about this, so people um, don't feel comfortable just walking in anywhere and say, I have this problem. For example, I know there's a lot of patients that um, have told me that, you know, they don't want to tell their primary care that they're having an addiction because they fear that um, the way they get treated, it will be different. If we looked at it as an addict and everything, would we kind of looked at from that lens versus seeing it's a it's another disease that they're battling? So that's an issue for them, and then also for some of them, is the cost factor, you know. Um, although um, I would say, like if you buying from the street, you're spending a lot of money on that. The cost of medication would be. A lot cheaper, especially if you're coming to getting a methadone. You know, you can get the methadone for about um, you know three, four dollars a day. You know, you get a methadone treatment, but versus you know, you spending the money on heroin and etc. I cannot say that would be the same for Vivitrol. So if you need Vivitrol, then there's a different cost for that. But it's a cost factor, stigma. And um, the milieu where you are and the environment that you're surrounded with, I think, plays a huge role. Um, yeah, if you're homeless, for example, you know, you know you're you using with other people or in the same uh, environment, because you do, in order to get better, you need an environment that's clean and safe and you know, it's a recovery environment versus... Um, where you are every day, that everybody's using, and you'll be among one of them.
1: Um, um, I guess if, if somebody gave you a magic wand that allowed you to change any health policy or guideline in order to more effectively. Carry out your coalition's mission, uh, or to alleviate the crisis, the opioid crisis. Uh, what policy or guideline would you choose to change?
2: Um, I think I would um, change the, for example, the Suboxone treatment to access, I think it should just become part of an ordinary um, process for the physicians. That is just another medication they have, they're prescribing and they'll go without the extra stuff they're going through which is preventing a lot of physicians to um, prescribe. I would, I would uh, do away with that law and um, uh, Make other drugs um, that are in the pipelines for this make those more available and get the FDA to look at those as a priority and release them because there are other drugs that are in the right now in research through UCLA and and other um, pharmaceutical companies for addiction and I think you know that usually those process takes anywhere between seven to ten years before they get approved. Given that we're in crisis, I would hope FDA puts these drugs first on the table and get them out more available to the market versus seven years down the line. Um, and also I would uh, probably have all the insurance companies to um, provide this all these federally FDA approved medication to the patients and um, um, at a reasonable costs of, uh, to them or co-pays, and so these are readily available. Um, even things such as a, a Narcan, which is a life-saving um, tool, if you have to go buy it yourself right now, it's like $150, and none of week can afford that, so um, making those things, I you know, uh, much um, it should be like over-the-counter. You just buy that and you should be able to, you know, with $15, 20 you should be able to afford something like that versus putting it in the high end and, you know, asking for a prescription to be available and all that. So I think if I had to one up probably use it on those areas. Uh,
1: what role or responsibility do you think uh, pharmaceutical companies like Purdue should have in the efforts to alleviate the crisis.
2: They should pay for all the treatment, and cost of all these patients that we also you we know, don't have to deal with. You know, they they brought this on to society, and so many lives have been lost. So what they can do, you know, they should be funding uh, treatment of. Um, medication assisted treatment programs they should sponsor that they should help with these patients who cannot afford to get medications um at least uh, help them to get back the road to recovery versus just let them suffer and die i think
1: that's all the Questions that I have, uh, were there any additional thoughts or ideas that you would like to
2: share? No, I think we covered pretty well what we do in Santa Clara, what we do in Coalition, and on these clinics. Not that I can think of anything else.
1: You know, thank you very much for coming uh, yeah, to this uh, interview and welcome. taking the time. You know, I appreciate you and sure. for sharing all the great work that's being done.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you, your dedication to this field and trying to get the word out about these issues. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Opioid Voices podcast. I'm Amanda Hiraishi, the executive producer. Opioid Voices is part of the American Opioid Project, a crowdsourced encyclopedia of the opioid crisis that will help the public understand how the crisis was experienced in all 50 states from a variety of perspectives. Share your story today by visiting www.americanopioid.org.